Welcome to the June 7th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, and the sermon is entitled, The Lamb of the Bible, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Today we're going to continue on in a great journey through the Gospel of John. Take your Bible, turn it with me to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And some of you I know haven't been here for a long time. Uh, And I am so thankful to see you back uh, as the congregation is pulling back together after these long weeks, couple of months. It's good to see you back in God's house. And I'm sure if this is your first time back here, this sanctuary is a good place to see and a wonderful place to be. Amen? Thank you for joining by streaming. Of course, next week we'll host our N through Z, half of the congregation. So uh, we're so thankful that the church is coming back together here. As we look at the Gospel of John, as you open your Bible with me in your home as we're streaming to you or out in the parking lot or here in the sanctuary, my prayer is that this study of the Gospel of John will be a resource for this church for years to come. So many people struggle to know, where do I begin in the Bible? How do I begin understanding the Word of God? Where do I start? My prayer for this study is that we can put that in the hands of those people who just want to get involved in the Bible because I have told so many people over the years, start by reading the Gospel of John. It introduces you to Jesus as Savior. It gives you such a great picture of his life. So my prayer is that this will be a resource for days to come. This is a biography of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, Today we're going to continue in John chapter 1. We're going to begin with verse 29. That's where we are going to have our starting point uh, in the gospel today. But before I read this portion of Scripture, I, I bring you to the point of where we left off last week in that we are coming to understand the life of John the Baptist. He is introduced to us in the first few verses of the beginning of the gospel of John. Why does... John, the gospel writer, introduces us to John the Baptist. There's a key reason. He introduces him as a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins his gospel by saying John the Baptist was a witness. But when we come to the end of his gospel, what we understand is this. We, too, are witnesses. John the Baptist passed the baton down the road, and now we are the witnesses just as John the Baptist was. So as we look at John the Baptist's life, he was born to a godly couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. His life already had a predetermined purpose. God had determined what John the Baptist would do before he was ever conceived in the womb. Luke chapter 1, we read that before John was even conceived, God told Zacharias that his son would come ahead of the Messiah, and his son would prepare the way for people to receive the Messiah coming to their heart and into their lives. John the Baptist would preach repentance. He grew up to be a preacher. He started his ministry somewhere around 29, 30 years old, but he was a preacher of repentance. He would tell people, you need to be sorry for your sin. Repentance simply means that you are sorry for that which you have done wrong against the Lord, and you want to make a 180-degree turn. We're walking toward sin, and we want to make that turn and walk toward the Savior, toward the Lord. And so John preached sermons of repentance. Basically what John said is you need to clear the brambles of sin off the pathway of your life so Jesus can use that pathway to come to you. 
So John's ministry, John the Baptist's ministry, was preparatory for Jesus to come to us. Now, I believe this. Let me back up to say I believe that while John the Baptist had a pre-designed purpose for his life, so do you and I. All of us, I believe, before we were ever conceived in the womb, had a reason for being here, a purpose for being here. You can't begin your purpose until you know Jesus as your Savior. He enacts through his power, through his spirit living in us, who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do in his kingdom. Now, John the Baptist knew his entire purpose in life was not to point to himself but always to point to someone else, always to point to a coming Christ, to a coming Messiah, to a coming Savior. And today, before I read this scripture from John, let me take you back 1,800 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 1,800 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there was a man who lived whose name was Abraham. God called this man to follow him in faith. This man, who started his life as Abram, and God renamed him Abraham, would become the father of a nation. He would be the patriarch, the progenitor of the Israelite people. One of the most touching and gripping passages of Scripture in all of my Bible is in Genesis chapter 22. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. I love this passage. It brings me to my knees every time I read it of the humility that Abraham had before his God. God gave Abraham one of the greatest earthly gifts possible in that God gave Abraham and his wife Sarah a precious son. All of our children are precious to us, but this son was particularly precious to Abraham and to Sarah because they were in their old age, that it had ceased with them biologically to have a child, and yet miraculously but also biologically God gave them a son at 100 years old for Abraham 90 years old for Sarah it was a complete biological birth a natural birth but it came long after they were able to have children in one way it was natural and another way it was miraculous but God gave Abraham and Sarah a miraculous son by a natural birth and they loved that boy. Can you imagine how they loved that boy that came into their lives so late? But the day came when God brought Abraham to a crossroad, to a decision. God, in his wisdom, brought Abraham to this point. He asks, Abraham, who do you love more? Do you love this son that the great giver gave to you? Or do you love the great giver of your son more? Who do you love more, your God or your son? And God in his wisdom brought Abraham to that supreme test. So God says, if you love me more, if you are humble before me, if you trust me, if you have faith in me as your God and as your leader and as your king, then I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac to me. And I promise you this, Abraham, if you will give your son Isaac as a sacrifice to me, I will not fail you. You can trust me in all things. I will be your God and I will not fail you. Will you trust me in this ultimate decision? And amazingly, as we read this passage in Genesis, Abraham, without question and without qualm, 
decides to do exactly what God calls him to do. He forms a little entourage of two servants and a donkey and his son and himself. And he sets off to a place of worship in a place called Moriah. And so that little entourage of servants and donkey and father and son travel to that place. When they get to the base of the mountain in Moriah, Abraham tells his servants, hold the donkey and you two stay right here. My son and I are going up on that mountain and we're going to worship God with a sacrifice. And he takes the wood for the sacrifice that would be offered to God and lays it on his son's back to carry up that mountain. That tells me that Isaac is a strong teenager in this moment to bear that load of wood on his back up the mountain. Abraham himself carries the hot coal of fire with which he will light that fire for the sacrifice. And in Genesis chapter 22, verse 7, I believe Isaac, listen now, asks his dad one of the most important, primary, pivotal questions in all of the Bible. Listen now, this is so important. Isaac asks his dad one of the most important questions that teaches us about God's love throughout the Bible. As they go up that mountain, Isaac says, Dad, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And old Abraham says, don't worry, son. God will provide a lamb. Just saying that sends chills down my spine right now. Don't worry, son. God will provide a lamb. And of course, you know, as a Bible student, that when they get to that place of sacrifice, that Abraham binds his son, Isaac. Remember that Isaac is a strong teenager here. I believe he could have resisted a 115 or 20-year-old man but he himself surrendered to be the sacrifice. And Abraham bound him and laid him on that altar of sacrifice, and he held up the knife ready to take his son's life to offer him as an offering to God. And as he gets ready to plunge that knife down, God says, Abraham, Abraham! Don't sacrifice your son. It's an amazing passage of Scripture to me. God says, I know now that you love me most of all. You trust me. You have faith in me most of all. And I spare your son. And in that thicket over there, you will find a ram caught by its horns. And you take that ram and you sacrifice that ram in place of your son. Now listen, friends. Going up that mountain, Isaac said, Dad, where's the lamb? But when God provides, he doesn't provide a lamb. He provides a ram, which is an old, tough male sheep or a goat. Horns that were old caught in that thicket. It was not that precious lamb. So the question that Isaac asked his dad goes unanswered for 1,800 years. 1,800 years later, the answer comes. Look at John chapter 1, verse 29. 
Here's John the Baptist standing with his disciples. John 1, 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. I don't know about you, but that's one of the most stirring moments for me in the Bible. 1,800 years later, John the Baptist answers Isaac's question. Here is the Lamb. Here's the Lamb of true sacrifice, which is going to bring the world forgiveness. Well, let's read this entire passage now, 29 through 34. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water, and John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. May God add his blessing to the reading of that portion of his precious, holy, mighty, inerrant, perfect word. Actually, this passage reminds me that all of the Bible can be summed up in three questions, three statements. Three statements sum up the Bible. You ready? Statement number one is the question, Isaac's question, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 7. Where is the lamb? And the second statement that summarizes the Bible is John the Baptist's statement in John chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb. And then the third statement that summarizes God's Word is in Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, that says, Worthy is the Lamb. Where is the Lamb? There is the Lamb, and He is worthy as the sacrifice that takes our sin away. Look at the 30th verse of John 1. John says, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. John says here that God sent him with the purpose of preaching and prophesying of a Messiah who is going to come. And this Messiah was going to be after him. In other words, John the Baptist would be the forerunner The Messiah would show up after John's preaching message, getting the brambles of sin, of repentance, off the walkway of your heart so Jesus can come to you. But he says, this man Jesus is much greater than I am, much greater than John the Baptist is. John said, he is preferred over me. Now remember, John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus was born at Bethlehem. By simple math, that means he was conceived in the womb three months before the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And yet John says here, he was before me. Well, by simple math, humanly speaking, no, John was before him. Six months older. 
But John the Baptist is pointing out the eternal nature of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus was not created in the womb in the same order as we human beings are created in the womb. The flesh was biologically formed in Mary's womb, but Jesus stepped out of his position of God in heaven, part of the Godhead, God the Son, the Son of God. He stepped out of his position of the Trinity in heaven and took on flesh, took on the incarnation of flesh. He was before John. In fact, he was before Abraham. He was before Adam and Eve because he is eternal in nature. And then John the Baptist recalls baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River. Look at verse 33 again. John says, and I knew him not. John had been preaching this prophecy of repentance, but he had not met him yet. I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Well, Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 3 also give us the snapshot of Jesus being baptized. Let's go to one of them. If you want to flip over with me to Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. That just gives you a variation of the same event. Jesus' baptism through another set of eyes. So in Matthew's gospel, chapter 3, verse 13, we read this. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. In other words, then he baptized him. And Jesus, when he was baptized went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So, as Jesus approaches John in the river, John is baptizing people this baptism of water in sorrow and repentance for their sins. He baptized people in order that they would get their heart right when the Savior does come, that they would be ready to receive him. It was a baptism of preparation, a baptism of repentance, a baptism of getting the brambles off the pathway. But Jesus comes to him, and he says, Baptize me, John. And immediately John's eyes are opening. And John says, Lord, I cannot baptize you. In all humility, I can't baptize you. I need you to baptize me. And Jesus replies, to fulfill all of God's righteousness, I ask you to baptize me in obedience to the will of God. I truly believe that this moment is the moment that Jesus says, I will, I will go to the cross. This is at the beginning of his earthly ministry. I will take on the cross to forgive human beings. By the way, if you notice this picture in Matthew 3 and Luke chapter 3, it's a clear statement. We don't, never see the word Trinity in the Bible. 
But here's the clearest statement of the Trinity of God. Jesus the Son in the water, the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove to light on him, God the Father speaking from heaven. There's there's the Trinity just as clear and plain as day. The equality, the eternality of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Greek language, which guides us, I believe it is very easy to see that Jesus was baptized by immersion, talking about him coming out of the water. Jesus, I believe, was buried beneath the water. He then breaks the surface of the water as he rises up. And that is a fitting, wonderful picture of the prophecy that he will die, that he will be buried, laid out in a tomb, dead. You don't breathe underwater. And when he breaks out of that water, it signifies his resurrection and his power over the grave and his power to give us new life and eternal life. It's a great picture. And Matthew and Luke attest to the truth that the heavens open, the Spirit of God comes down with the grace and the speed and the silence of a dove lighting on Jesus. And God the Father's voice, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Well, let's move back now to John chapter 1. John the Baptist remembers that moment. It is burned to his mind and into his heart what had happened at the baptism of Jesus the Christ. And he says, The moment I brought my cousin out of the water, I knew that he was more than just a family member. You remember, they were cousins, kin from birth. But he says he's far above just being kin to me by a biological family. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He is mightier than I. He is preferred over me. He's the one I have pointed to in all of my ministry of preaching and prophecy about a Savior coming. This is Him. He is the Lamb coming to us. He's the fulfillment of my purpose of my life. I've preached about Him. I've prophesied about Him. I have pointed to Him, and here He is. This is the fulfillment of my life standing here with me in the water. This is the one I've preached about. John the Baptist lived in awe of Jesus the Christ. He lived thinking, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. I'm not worthy to pick up his sandals. And yet he has given me the undeserved privilege to speak his name and serve him with my life. You know how I need to think like that? I do not deserve to stand in this holy place. On my merit, on my life, I have no right to stand behind this pulpit. It is by the undeserved grace of Jesus Christ that allows me this privilege. And what a privilege it is to stand in this place, to stand here for 38 years What a privilege of God that he's given to me. And I want to worship him. And I want to serve him. And I want him to be the purpose of my life. You know, the old hymn says that we should stand amazed in his presence. John the Baptist did. And this scripture leads me to that same amazement that he allows me the privilege to give my life to him that I might serve him. 
So friends, that's not just me standing behind the pulpit, but for all of us, we should be intent to worship. Praise God, the sanctuary is becoming open now. Praise God for the streaming that has so many others gathered with us in worship in their homes by a computer, by an iPad, however you meet with us today. Praise God for those who are in our parking lot listening by an FM signal. We need to be intent to worship Him. We need to be intense to serve Him with all of our lives, that He is our purpose that he's the reason we get up in the morning, that he's the reason that he allows us to have a night of rest and wake up the next morning so we can serve him yet another day. Praise God for every day that he gives us. And we need to be intense about our service to him. Wherever life takes you, you can serve him there. And we need to be content that we're saved by him. You know, the world strives for contentedness all over the place how much money you can make, how many possessions you can buy, how much fame you can build up, how much education, how many diplomas you can hang on your wall. So the world tries and tries to find contentedness in so many ways, and everybody always comes up at a dead end because none of those things will bring you ultimate contentedness. Only Jesus will. We need to be content in the Savior intent to worship him and intense to serve him believers we need to come to him just like john the baptist did two thousand years ago and say lord you're not just an addition to all the stuff of my life you're not just another helping on the plate of my life your life itself and you're my purpose and i'm all yours lord you were willing Wear a crown of thorns for me. You were willing to bear the cross of Calvary for me. Any sacrifice that you call me to do is far short of the sacrifice you gave for me. Help me, Lord, live a sacrificial life. Help me meet people in the love and the salvation and the grace of the Savior who met me and gave me life. My prayer, ladies and gentlemen, in this sanctuary and by media and out there in that parking lot is that we will have that kind of surrender to that Savior who surrendered himself for us. He is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. May we live our lives for him. And I pray that we allow him to use us up and the way that he wants us to fulfill his purpose. You know, there's a description of getting into heaven. I've I've shared this and read this before. I'm going to bring it around again about how we're supposed to go to heaven. You know, a lot of us think about heaven, and through our childhood and early years, we hear about walking up to the Golden Gate. We'll meet St. Peter and all of those things. But here's someone's description of getting to heaven. Life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty, well-preserved body. Rather, we should skid into heaven broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, Wow! What a ride! Amen. Lord, use us up. Use us up. You are our purpose. You are our lamb. You are the king. Use us in your ministry. Use this church. Use my life 
that we will bring a lost, dying, hurting, worried, anxious world to a Savior, the Lamb. And if you're here today in this sanctuary or by media, listening in a parking lot, and you've never come to that Savior, He has a purpose for your life as well. But you can't begin the purpose till you begin your walk with the Savior. I invite you to Him today. Not because I'm here as a sinless man. I'm just a forgiven sinner. That's all I am, a forgiven sinner. But I want you to have that same forgiveness It has changed my life. And I want him to change your life as well. He loves you. He went to the cross for you. He rose from the grave for you. I want you to lift up your eyes, and I want you to see the lamb on the cross for you. And I believe God will give you that picture right now. If you need to see it, he is putting that in your mind right now, the lamb on the cross for you, Jesus on the cross for you. And then realize he did it so that this moment you can come and say, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, wherever you're worshiping today, you can come this moment and say, worthy is the Lamb. I accept you as my Savior. Church home, whatever your need, he meets us here. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God. This passage brings me to my knees, Lord. Abraham and Isaac, John the Baptist, pointing out, there's the Lamb. One of these days, on a future day, Revelation 5 tells us that we who are believers will chant with the angels and with the saints of glory, saying, Lord, for eternity, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Maybe there's someone here today that needs to join us in the family of the saved, Jesus Christ. Worthy are you, Lord, to have our life. I pray you bless that one who needs to give you his or her heart today. Lord, I pray for believers that we will be reinvigorated and revived in what it means to serve you. I pray that we will not look at our own comforts that we won't look at our own lifestyles, that we won't preserve that which is in our box, but we'll be willing to step out, Lord, and sacrifice for you because you ultimately sacrificed your very life that we might belong to you. It's not about us. It's about you. Bless us, we pray. Bless that one who needs you. Bless that one who needs a church home. Whatever it is, bless us, we pray. In this very precious and important moment, in Jesus' name, amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.